0: may add my welcome to the one i hope you just received my name is ben um one of the pastors here at grace again and just glad to be worshiping with you all uh today i was not i'm wasn't i am not a prophet nor am i the son of a prophet but i woke up today and i said eight o'clock it's gonna be thin (laughs) it's gonna be thin today no thank you uh, for being here. I'm glad to be here worshiping with you. I've had three weeks off of preaching and I think I want to say thank you. The first, let me tell you what I've been doing. The first week I was running the Havsie and uh, it destroyed me. The second, the second week I was off on an adventure with my family. And the third week I was uh, present but I did not have to prepare a sermon, so I just got to be here and was able to worship. I want to thank you all for being so understanding, for so frequently giving breaks to staff uh, and elders it's, it's, uh, and, and pastors. It's very important uh, for our longevity and for our soul. Very grateful. I want to say a special thanks to, to Pastor Isaac, who took up uh, an extra heavy load. He's a good pastor, isn't he? Uh, So thank you for that. Let's turn our attention to God's Word. Let's take a moment to just quiet our hearts, kind of gather ourselves and our scattered senses, and then we'll turn to Matthew chapter 8. Let's take a beat. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you... Continue to speak to us through your word. And I pray that as we open the scriptures today, that we would be uh, sensitive to what your spirit has for us. The words of comfort, exhortation, a sense that I have this morning that you, you simply mean to draw near and tend to us in our places of affliction and sickness, bodily sickness and soul sickness. So would you draw near? Uh, Speak now, Lord, your servants are listening. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. We'll be reading today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 1 through 17. And as I read these verses, I just want you to consider Jesus' love for those who are sick and ailing. Beginning in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to a priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you. As you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law lying sick with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God cares for the sick. God heals the sick. I've been praying a lot for my sick friends lately. On my knees, praying for healing. Some people with very serious diagnoses. A lot of that going around in our community. So I've thought a lot about these stories in the gospel, and I thought before Advent, well, maybe it would be encouraging to preach a message about God's heart for the sick. And then I got sick, and I spent Thanksgiving banished to the basement, masking throughout the weeks. I did get a Thanksgiving plate medium warm (laughs) and it's not bad to have people deliver food to you and you know for an introvert time in the basement with a good book and a lot of time to pray it's not a bad thing but I've spent a lot of time thinking about sickness I get more requests to pray for illness than I do anything else as you can imagine I want you to think about how sickness or infirmity has affected your life or the life of those you love. Whether it's motion sickness or morning sickness, mental illness, food illness, COVID sickness, Migraine sickness, cancer sickness, terminal illness. We cough, we wheeze, we limp, we ache, we wince, we cry, we yell, we grow quiet, we die. We are the bedridden. We feel pain. We wait for tests. We put ourselves in the care of others. We lose control. Or maybe better yet, we see in a very real way for the first time that we were never in control in the first place. Some of us lay in a sick bed because it's temporary. For others of us, it's chronic. It has altered our dreams, our plans, our lives. Where is God in the midst of our sickness? And stories like the ones that we have in the gospel this morning are there to answer that question. God is with us. He cares. He heals. First point, God cares. God is tender to the sick. There's a promise made in the Old Testament Psalms, Psalm 41. It's very tender. That when men and women are sick, God will be like a nurse to them. He'll be with them. It says, the Lord will sustain us on our sickbed. In our illness, he will restore us to full health. That's what it says in our English versions. It's much more tender in the original Hebrew, or for you, those of you who rock a KJV, it'd be there as well. But it literally says, he turns our beds in other words, that when we are sick, He is our tender bedmaker, the one who changes the sheets, who makes our bed a place of comfort and rest. He is our nursemaid, our bedmaker. That's what it says of God the Father. And when Jesus Christ comes and puts on flesh, he puts flesh onto Psalm 41, dwelling with us, communicating to us God's care for the sick. I think particularly about the last vignette in our reading when Jesus comes to Peter's house and Peter's mother in law is sick and he touches her. Hand as we've touched a sick one's hand so many times in our life, and she's healed. What is the grand theological point that's being made there? Other than that, here is a woman who needs healing, and Jesus cares a lot for her. Jesus describes himself as a physician who didn't come for the well, but for the sick. Sick in the heart, soul-sick, yes, but also sick in body. And the crowds knew this about Jesus. Perhaps it was one of the only things that the average person knew about him. That he had compassion for the sick and had some power to heal. And so multitudes of those with afflictions in their souls and in their bodies would seek him out and he would allow himself to be found. Caring for the sick mattered very much to Jesus. So much so that he not only made it a core aspect of what he did, but he made caring for the sick a core tenant of what he taught the lord jesus puts care for the sick right at the heart of his teaching and so in matthew 25 that sobering text that talks about the criteria the lord will use when he judges the world he says this i was naked and you clothed me i was in prison And you came to me. I was sick, and you visited me. When Jesus sends his disciples out two by two to extend his kingdom and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, one of the main things he tells them to do is to find where the sick people are and to care for them. Not only being a caregiver, creating a community of care to spread the blessing. God cares for the sick. How can we apply this? If you are sick, ailing, God wants to communicate his care to you this morning in the most tender way. In a world that has passed you by and that keeps moving at the same pace when everything in your life has shut down, and even in a church culture that often doesn't see and dignify the sick, Jesus stops in these stories. And he kneels next to you and he lingers. When we are chronically ill, hospitalized, chaired, it is easy to feel forgotten. We need these reminders of God's tender care. I am perhaps at my most unspiritual when I am sick. It is hardest for me to pray when I'm sick. It's hard to concentrate on the text. Hard to experience the presence of God. And when a felt sense of God's presence is hard to find... He just gives us very explicit stories of him coming close and caring so that we would know for the God who never changes that he is with us even when we can't feel his presence. There's also something for us here corporately. God wants to shape us into a community of care. And when we come alongside someone in prayer, when we set up a mercy mercy meal train, when we deliver that meal, when we send a text or make a phone call, we are participating in the mission of God. How do you participate in the mission of God this week? What is our mission as disciples of Jesus? That's a big question. But we cannot answer it without saying, our mission is to care for the sick. It is to tend to those in need. At the end of the book of James, it says, if if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church Let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. What's behind a text like that? Other than to create a community of care that starts with the leaders. At our brief congregational meeting, we'll talk about criteria for choosing a leader. But here we have one that we should bring to mind. Who would you want to see show up at your hospital room. When you called the elders because you were sick, who would you want to pick up the phone? Often we can choose a leader because they're a good business leader and not because they're a good shepherd. And if we choose leaders like that, then calling on folks when we're sick can be awkward. We don't want certain people to pray with us in our most vulnerable moment in our life. But if they're a shepherd, we might risk it. When people are sick, they're not supposed to be isolated. They're not supposed to go at it alone. Even though in my many years in ministry, I've realized that a lot of people choose to do that. But you don't have to. You are invited to bring your sickness to us. As you would to Jesus. And we're not Jesus. We're imperfect. But we're his community. We're his community and we're trying to live out his heart of care for the sick. The leaders of the church do that. We we even pray over people with oil. We buy it at the Catholic church. Bookstore because the Protestants forgot about that verse. But we do it in faithfulness and in hope. And they're small group leaders, and our diaconate and staff, just brothers and sisters in Christ. A community of care. God cares. Last point God heals. In each one of the cases in our gospel reading, God doesn't just care. He heals in every case. The leper is healed. The servant's paralysis is healed. Peter's mother-in-law is healed. Now this raises a number of questions for us about Should we expect healing? And where is our healing in our moment of crisis and pain? What should we expect from the God who heals? And I want to say there's two errors that we can make when asking that question. And the first is that we can believe that the Bible promises too much. That it promises that somehow... Believers shouldn't get sick, not if God is powerful and they are good. Or that Christ has somehow promised us a life free from unwanted disease or creaking bones or wheezing lungs. That kind of thinking gets to the core of the health and wealth gospel Uh, that is uh, very popular in the United States and around the world. Exhibit A of this kind of theology, Pastor Joel Osteen's advice. Quote, Maybe Alzheimer's disease runs in your family genes, but don't succumb to it. Instead, say every day, quote, My mind is alert. I have clarity of thought. I have a good memory. Every cell in my body is increasing and getting healthier. Unquote. He says then, if you rise up in your authority, you can be the one to stop the negative things in your family line. Start boldly declaring, God is restoring health to me. I am getting better every day in every way. It's not wrong to ask for healing. It is wrong to believe that the power to heal resides in you, that it's our positive thinking or good deeds. That is the key to the power of healing. That followers of Jesus, if they really are thinking the right thoughts, should never get sick. Friends, that's so wrong. Jesus never promised to remove suffering from our lives. This side of heaven. What he decided and what he declared and promised was to take care of the root of the problem. I think about verse 17, the last verse in our reading. It's a quote from Isaiah 53. And that's one of the clearest texts in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. And what's interesting about that text is that it's not about physical healing, it's about the substitutionary work that God's servant will do that will cure a different kind of sickness. To quote Isaiah 53, But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, but the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Jesus' substitutionary death. In the place of sinners. Why is that text quoted after all of these physical healings? Well, what it's saying is that these healings are a foretaste of something even greater. It might get to the point by saying something like this. Healing is not the same as heaven. Miracles are real. They're powerful. They're mercy. But they don't remove suffering from this life. The man with leprosy eventually caught a cold and died. Those who were blind could see. They could still get a speck of burning sand stuck in the eye. And each one of them died. The formerly lame could still fall and break their leg. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, only to find that he resumed life under death threats and he would eventually die again. These healings were not resurrections. Resuscitations in the case of Lazarus, but not yet resurrections. They were a taste of where history is headed. But miracles and healing never remove our need for Jesus, or for a deeper healing and a greater hope. In other words, cancers and colds and diseases that shrivel our body, they can only do so much damage. The real danger are the things that threaten the soul. The sin that weighs us down. And separates us from God. This is the sickness. At the root of all the others. And it is the illness. That Jesus came to heal completely. And he paid the price. With his life. To overcome our sin. And injected into our life. The medicine of grace and divine love that heals a human heart, even as it purchases us a hope for heaven, a world beyond this one, and a day when sickness and sadness and even death itself will be swallowed up in victory. Jesus didn't promise healing in this life. But he did reconcile us to God. And in doing so, he purchased for us a hope that allows us to endure sickness and suffering patiently, courageously, believing that when our body weakens, our souls can grow strong. And this is the testimony of the saints that even when healing isn't given, there is still grace to be found. God never delights in cancer or canker sores for that matter. But the church has always said that sickness can be purifying because God meets us in the brokenness of our bodies and puts that brokenness to good use. Paul tutors us. In what this looks like. He knew what it was like to have God say no to a prayer for healing. From Second Corinthians. Paul says three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take this away from me. But he said. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Apparently, there was a kind of dependence upon God that Paul learned in this moment of trial. One more quote from from Paul. He says, We do not lose heart. Although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, But to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I'll do one more verse. For we know that if our tent, our body, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I believe like a child that God could heal any one of us immediately. God hasn't changed. But I also believe that waiting for glory is sanctifying and showing. And it shows the world. And the watching angels that some people love God even when it hurts. And I also believe, like a child, that our power is made perfect in weakness. And so some will be healed, and many will wait. And we will wait in the absence of evidence, like Sarah in Abraham. Which is the definition of faith. But we wait with hope. We can believe that the Bible promises too much. We can also believe that it promises too little. Because the fact is, is that God still heals. And he desires to heal. And he will heal everyone and all creation eventually it's just a matter of timing my favorite thing i've read about this has been in this article in christianity today by a man named andrew wilson the name of the article is god always heals The context is that Wilson is a pastor and currently a pastor at a large charismatic church in England that regularly prays for the healing of people and apparently experiences miraculous healings in that congregation every year. This is what I find interesting. At the same time, he is the father of two children with regressive autism. And both of those children have lost the ability to sing to clap, to hold their own spoons. They have not been healed thus far. So he writes from a perspective of regularly seeing healing in his church, but at the same time, he's regularly praying for healing in the lives of his children that hasn't yet come. And what he suggests is that there's four types of divine healing, and if we recognize them, we'll know that God Always heals. The first type of healing that he calls us to recognize is the miracle of the human body. Wilson writes, A virus attacks my body. And my white blood cells move into action, hunting down the perpetrator to kill it. Every second, tiny bits of mineral and organic material are sent to parts of my body that need them, performing ongoing repairs, hour after hour, year after year. My body heals itself all the time. In Wolverine, we call this a superpower. How many times has my body healed itself? And we just think it's mundane. This is the result of the grace of God. Who created us. Searches us. Knows us. And loves us. The second type of healing. We will call the miracle. Of doctors. And nurses. So if you are diagnosed with cancer. You go to a doctor. And he uses Diagnostic machines to locate a tumor, to map its location in the body. Then there is surgery, and the surgeon skillfully cuts the body to remove the the tumor, carefully sewing up the body again in a way that keeps us from bleeding out. There's medicine discovered and developed in labs used to destroy any remaining cancer cells in the body. Wilson writes, The ambulance, the paramedics, the skill of the surgeon... The discoveries that make operating rooms and anesthesia possible, all gracious gifts of a loving God whose mercy enables healing to occur all over the world in a way that most other generations would have called miraculous, because it is. The third type of healing is what we call divine intervention. Sometimes God heals directly in a way that human scientific knowledge cannot explain. A Jewish rabbi spits on the ground, rubs mud into the eyes of a blind man, and suddenly he sees. A man with terrible back pain attends a prayer service where people gather around and pray in Jesus' name. He feels a warmth come over him. The pain never returns. A young woman is diagnosed with a tumor, and her friends go to Facebook and ask for prayer. Thousands of Christians who have never met for her pray for her, and they are shocked to find that the tumor has disappeared. These kinds of healings can and do happen, probably not as often as we hope, in a way that is always beyond our control. But it's a miracle. And then there's a fourth kind of healing, which we'll call the miracle of resurrection. Wilson describes it like this. And this is just where you listen. The trumpet sounds and the dead are raised in the twinkling of an eye, never to perish again. Corrupted bodies become incorruptible. Sickness and affliction never to befall them again. The sterile smell of the operating room corridor no more. The elderly formerly bound to hospital rooms are given new life and new youth, never to be stolen from them by the march of time. Every deaf ear unblocked. Every damaged limb repaired. Every blind eye sees. Autism, Down syndrome, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's disease, all swallowed up in victory, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Here's the line. No one cries except for joy. God is a God who heals. Always. Does that mean our prayers for heals will always be answered with immediate and obvious results? They might. But they don't have to. We know that God hears them. We know for certain that he wants to heal all brokenness and illness. We know that he is going to heal us from our hurts and sorrows. I'll just conclude with Wilson's word from his article. God never says no to a request for healing. He either says yes, as it was for two people in my church when I was writing this article, or not yet, as it has been so far for my children. One day, their disorders and ultimately death will be swallowed up in victory. He says, I can't wait. Neither can I. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who gives care to the sick and the afflicted. Thank you for these vivid portraits and images of your heart of a God surrounded by the multitudes of the broken and the hurting, and a God who eventually heals them all. Remind us in our moments of need of your presence. Draw near to those in our congregation who are hurting physically. Draw near to the caregivers of those whom we love. Let them know that they are very close to Christ when they are caring for those who need love. Know that they are on the front lines of mission and discipleship when they're tending towards for the sick. Lord, thank you for the hope of healing in all of the ways that it comes to us. Our bodies, which you've given us so miraculous. The doctors, nurses, medical advances that are present, that preserve life all over the world. The way in which your spirit still breaks in in moments uh, to give immediate and miraculous healing that we can't explain. And ultimately for the hope of resurrection a hope that is ours because of the work of Jesus. Let this be a comfort to us, help to create in our little church a community of care that you would recognize. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.